Hello and welcome back to The Perfect Score, a classical music podcast. I'm your host, Sandy Riley, and I cannot wait to tell you all about the wonderful piece I've chosen for today's podcast episode. Rachmaninoff's Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, Opus 43. I chose this piece also because it was one I love, but mainly because I got the privilege to play it in the violin section when it was performed by the phenomenal 16-year-old pianist Alexander Kwan, who absolutely nailed the piece and gave me a new and creative way of looking at it. I asked Alexander what he thought of this piece and what he likes most about it, and he said, quote, so one of my favourite things that drew me to the piece was the way that Rachmaninoff structures the piece in 24 variations, so that it never gets boring and the energy is always constant. Additionally, the use of the orchestra is very delicate as well. This is the largest concerto orchestra, second only to the Ravel left hand, but it's still very easy for the piano to project and be heard, as well as accompany many of the solos from the instruments like the corps anglais. Unquote. So, the piece starts in kind of a sudden and dramatic way, unique to Rachmaninoff, with the introduction. The piano and the strings progress in volume and suspense until the dropping to go to the first variation. In this piece, the first variation comes before the theme, which makes quite a cool aspect to the piece when you hear the recognisable Paganini tune after the intro and first variation. The Paganini tune is an exact replica of Paganini's, but after it, Rachmaninoff goes off to create his own variations of the tune. variation as an image and looking at the image from different angles physically and figuratively you can see so many different and deeper things by viewing a theme from many lenses so now i'm going to talk a bit about rachmaninoff sergey rachmaninoff from 1873 to 1943 was a russian composer pianist and conductor he is widely regarded as one of the most important composers of the late Romantic era, known for his lush, sweeping melodies, rich harmonies, and virtuosic piano writing. Born in Novgorod, Russia, Rachmaninoff began to play the piano at a young age and went on to study at the Moscow Conservatory. He quickly gained a reputation as a talented pianist and composer, and his music soon became popular in both Russia and abroad. Rachmaninoff's compositions include works for solo piano, orchestra, chamber ensembles, and vocal music. Some of his most famous works include his Piano Concerto No. 2, his Symphony No. 2, and of course his Rhapsody I'm discussing today. His music is known for its emotional intensity, lush harmonies, and melodic beauty. In addition to his work as a composer, Rachmaninoff was also a highly accomplished pianist, known for his technical skill and expressive playing style. He toured extensively throughout his career, both as a soloist and as a conductor. This piece was written for a full symphony orchestra, with a piano soloist. 
As a string player and someone interested in orchestral music, I'll go through the variations from that perspective. The strings had very little to do for the second variation, which most of is taken up by the piano and other sections. However, after this short variation, the third comes in with the first and second violins exchanging semiquavers for the starting conversation, and seconds both answering with the same notes. Both sections are marked to be pianissimo, meaning very quiet. However, they are also marked leggere, meaning to add an extra soft touch to it, to make it more effective and less of an accompaniment, but more of a layer behind the piano as the main focus. After the antiphonal violin passages, the strings come in with some more semiquavers, still based on the theme, but mainly trying to, as I said, be a background layer, bringing out the piano's main as the main focus. This variation can often be described as random, confusing, or other things, but I like to think of it as getting you lost in the music before Rachmaninoff brings you back to attention with power and definition to the fourth variation. Before I go on to talk about that, I wanted to focus a bit on the dynamics on the previous variation. The strings consistently playing pianissimo and leggere. The piano part is full of interesting placements of crescendos, diminuendos, and terrace dynamics, bulges in sound for dramatic effect, and overall, I found the dynamic contrast for this variation really interesting. So now, finally, onto variation four. This one definitely stuck out to me when playing the Rhapsody, because of all the really active and well-described parts in the violin, and the orchestra. The piano part get really gets virtuosic with many notes joined together to really explain the theme in a different, more detailed way. Like say you zoom into a photograph on a computer. You see all these pixels, so much more than what you need to see, but it shows you in an amazing way what everything you're hearing is made up of. After the piano introduces the fourth variation, some of the strings accompany it with pizzicato, plucking the string. Then the firsts and seconds split off. The seconds get to enjoy the melody with the coranglay that is a slurred and softer melody, while the firsts violins go off with more grouped semiquavers, accompanying the other sections. The orchestra has had quite their fair share of semis so far, especially the piano. A couple bars later, the violins reunite for a similar passage to the one that the Coranglais had the first time. A couple bars later, the piano leads us brilliantly into the fifth variation. For the strings, the fifth variation is more of a percussive one where rhythm, counting, and timing definitely matter more than ever. Especially with the fast tempo, barely any cues, and odd placement of notes. When practicing this part, I found it really important to first of all master the counting and rhythm. Once perfected, this variation can be really fun and enjoyable with joking characteristics as well as sounding quite well. Another thing about this is that getting the richness out of your notes is really important and that goes toward the overall percussive orchestral sound. So I'm talking accents, staccato, and even more dynamics. 
This is another thing that comes before learning the actual notes. All the notes will just fit right into place once mastered all the other aspects. Moving on to variation 6, Rachmaninoff gives us a break from fast tempos, accents, and power, and makes us all parts think and play subtle, but with still with creative dynamics. This movement is quite a magical one to listen to. It is just overall very enchanting and different from the rest of the piece. When playing this variation, I loved how perfectly shaped and molded it could be. After a general pause, we get such a great taste of the beautiful sound of the bassoon. The first five notes played by the bassoon, A, C, B, A, E, remember these, as they will turn up again in a little bit. But back to the bassoon. So the richness of the bassoonist's tone is probably the most important thing for this variation. Other sections have only small quiet passages that certainly do help keep suspense and tranquility. The movement all comes to a close with, well, when you look at that, those five notes that open the variation. The first get it rapidly, followed by the seconds, and then given to the flutes, which seemingly ends the movement. Almost instantly after the flutes finish that, finish that variation, the piano accelerates us into the next one, using the same note sequence that ended the last one. This variation is one of the pianist's main showcases of virtuosity, which can sound phenomenal when mastered. Keeping the same speed and complexity, the strings lead the ninth variation with something called colenio. Colenio is an Italian term that translates to with the wood. Colenio refers to a technique where the string of the violin are struck by the wooden part of the bow rather than the horsehair. The sound produced by Colenio is quite distinctive, with a percussive, almost metallic quality. It can be used to create a range of effects from rhythmic punctuation to eerie, atmospheric sounds. To execute Colenio, the violinist turns the bow over so that the wooden side faces the strings. The bow is then drawn a clock across the strings with a light, bouncing motion, creating the desired percussive effect. I really enjoyed learning how to do this, but most of all, the unique sound that can be created by the orchestra doing this was most amazing. Without knowing it, we seemingly drive right into variation 10, with a piano letting out harsh and scary dark low chords, showing things are getting interesting. Then, somewhere close to the middle of the variation, the brass get the chance of showing the audience how defining and terrifying they can be, with some sort of anti-fanfare-like blows. The piano then jokingly imitates the brass with a quieter, twinkly version of the variation 10 tune. For even more of a taunting style, the piano is accompanied by the triangle. This next variation is started by the strings with some slightly haunting tremolo, which then is answered by the piano with a major chord, and following is a short variation of the tune. This variation is overall quite a simple but beautiful one, and the next variation absolutely brings you right back into it. Variation 13 evolves a lot around the strings where the violins get the melody, and it is now at the point where the piano is accompanying the violins. 
Revelation 14 is an interesting one, with so much going on in all the sections, but in the end it is all worth it for the contrast it gives this next variation. Variation 15 is all about piano virtuosity, and has so many notes and dynamics to know, but somehow this movement can be more complicated by having the strings come in qui with quiet, sharp staccato quavers that don't exactly help the piano out. Now we move on to a variation where the strings are all muted, and they begin this movement subtly, and their phrases are ended by the piano, bringing a hint of light and hope into it. This is quite a held-back nervous one, but it has much beauty in many ways. I really like in this variation when we get more Antiphony intersectional work, with the wind having a theme and the strings subtly answering. After the strings have little quiet passages of tremolo that to me imitate the wind, the piano glides us right through into the next. The 18th has got to be one of my favourites, with one of the most absolutely beautiful melodies I've ever heard, where everything is just absolutely magical and released, and it's just like taking a big exhale after everything that has happened already. With this sensational movement being probably one of the most important parts of the piece, it definitely needs to be executed wonderfully, and with passion, precision, and emotion. Variation 19 takes us away from all the beauty for some interesting layering, which is getting us ready for all that is about to come. Variation 20 involves other sections and piano layering over the violin's very fast tempered semiquavers. Whilst listening to me describe this movement, it may sound like this movement can only be chaos, but listening to the movement it sounds pretty organized. These next movements feel like entering the endgame, where all the sections are doing their own thing to help build the pressure that is nearing the end. The last variation I want to talk about is the last. This one has so much to offer, and I think it has a bit of a reflection on the piece, holding a mix of everything the piece has had to offer. Finally, we have a very subtle ending which somehow completes the entire piece. Thank you so much to listening to this episode of The Perfect Score. You can find me on Instagram at Perfect Score Podcast and on Twitter at Perfect Score FM and you can also visit my website at PerfectScore.fm Thank you.